Bertie. And I'm Sam. This is the History Between Bites podcast. The podcast where we talk about your favorite foods and where they come from. This week's episode is on garlic. We're going to be chatting about the global history of garlic, its uses throughout that history, and finish out with a sampling of two recipes using it. One from antiquity. And one from today. So get comfy, grab a snack, and get ready for History, history Between, Between Bites. Bites. Alrighty. So, Sammy, garlic, thoughts? I feel like I should know where it's from and, like, some of these things and, like, I have an inclination. But everything about garlic, I'm just thinking Mediterranean. And I know that that can't be right. That this is, like, the only place. Um, and I have not looked at the notes yet. So I'm super excited to, like, learn today where garlic comes from and, and the story because I feel like... I put it in everything. I, I mean, mean, not everything, but just about everything. I use it with what can comfortably be described as reckless abandon. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, I'm always the person who, like, when the recipe calls for, like, two cloves, I'm like, the fuck is two cloves? Like, two heads? That's enough. Yeah, I mean, at least doubling. I always at least double whatever the recipe calls for, because I'm like, two cloves of garlic is going to do no things. It's doing 0% of things. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Yes, so garlic. We all know it. Most of us love it. Uh, It's an herb we throw into our soups and our sauces with wild abandon. (laughs) The wonder veggie of the heart healthy for the early aughts. And as we'll learn, a lot earlier. Uh, And of course, it's the scourge of vampires everywhere. But what actually is it? And where does it come from? And how do we properly define its flavor and its cultural impact? That's an interesting question. Like, how to define its flavor? It tastes like garlic. Yeah. And like, everything that has that kind of taste is compared to it. Yeah. We call it... Garlicky. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's fun. This could be fun. This would be a fun one. Yeah. There's science in this one, which is really cool. Oh, it makes you very happy. Always. <laughs> Always. Okay. So let's begin with the science, where so many good things start. Uh, garlic is in the same family as onions and chives and leeks. Uh, they're all called alliums, which may be from a Greek word that means to avoid. Well, that's Whoops. hilarious, because I think that Greek food all has uh-huh. those things in it. They're referring to the stench, like the smell of garlic. You want to avoid smelling like garlic. And our particular interest today is Allium sativum. That's garlic's government name. According to the Flavor Matrix, which is one of my favorite books in the kitchen, garlic is the most pungent and sulfurous of the Allium family. So it has that more punch-you-in-the-face sort of allium sharpness without, most of the time, making you cry when you cut it. Makes sense. Unless your hand slips and you cut it open, and then you cry, and you bitch, and you cry some more. But, like, sulfurous, I don't know if I would have attached sulfurous to it, but that's an interesting, like, adjective to think about the flavors of garlic. See, what's really funny is that the flavor matrix is specifically about the tastes on your tongue. Okay. Flavor is about the things that go on in your mouth. Yeah. The entirety of taste is smell. 
is most Got mostly it. smell. Yeah, because I'm thinking sulfurous, and I'm like, there's there's no relation between garlic and egg for me. Yeah, and sulfur for me is egg. But it's but the, the, it's the activity. It's Interesting. The touch in your mouth. Science. <laughs> it also pairs best with sharper or sweeter or creamier elements in dishes. So things like wine, like my known spaghetti recipe, apples and cheese. Things we wouldn't think about. Yeah, garlic and apples is not necessarily the thing I think about, but we do. I've, I've had like Thanksgiving stuffing that has apples in it mm-hmm. and garlic. And I stuff my turkey with garlic cloves oh, and apples. Right, as, as do I. Yeah. So, <laughs> Although I wouldn't necessarily fight for apples in my stuffing. But the bird, yes. Oh, yeah. In the bird, it's perfect. Yeah. Stuffing could be a little hit or miss. Mostly a miss if you're putting fruit in your stuffing. I'm sorry. That's my thing. It's not a hot take. I don't think that's a hot take. I can't do it. (laughs) So it tends to be a little bit of a flavor bully, as anybody who's ever worked with it knows. And more delicate flavors can get lost when using it. But you can adjust this and the sharpness and allium flavors, especially garlic, with long cook times. You can mellow them out. You can sweeten them a little bit, which is why roasted Garlic may be the best thing ever put on toasted sourdough. Surely that's not a new development. No. 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 Far and away, no. And trust me when I say that this handy little veggie has a long history of being a kitchen whiz. Okay, so early, though notably not the earliest, historical sightings of garlic are from East Asia. Kyrgyzstan, which is more Central Eastern Asia, but still... And then from there, it was introduced into China, and then Korea, and then finally from Korea to Japan, all around 400 BCE. So it traveled the Buddhist route, because that's how Buddhism spreads as well. Which is really funny, because certain sects of Buddhism don't eat garlic. (laughs) That's wild. I mean, it's it's the Silk Road. That's what we're talking about here. Because Buddhism travels along the Silk Road. But really, so fun to see that um, garlic is doing the same thing. Like, we have, I know I'm going to go on a side tangent of Buddhism Mm -hmm. for a second. Right, out of India into China. And then we see, like, diplomats from... Korea going into Japan and saying, like, you should adopt this tradition. Everyone in the West does it. And if you're looking at the world from the perspective of Korea and Japan, everything is West, including China, which from a Western perspective is not. Um, so interesting that it literally takes the same stomp, like stopping points okay. as Buddhism that, the, that garlic does. Yeah, they kind of travel together. Which is really interesting. It's really That's going to be our shirt. It's going to be like, yeah, duh, Silk Road. HBB <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> like everything. Like, and, the, and the logo on the back. Yeah, like Perfect. the answer to all your questions is probably Silk Road. At some point. At some yeah. point, yes. <laughs> I want to give a quick aside. Fermented black garlic and black garlic are not, in fact, the same plant. Fermented black garlic is regular old allium sativum. That's been fermented, and that's what turned it black and gives it kind of a mellow, truffly sort of flavor. And that's what I know black garlic to be. Yes. I didn't know that there was a black garlic. Yes. Oh, black garlic, the plant, is an ornamental garlic plant that isn't actually edible. Oh, even better. <laughs> Clear as mud? Cool. Yeah, sure. Good. Also, fermented black garlic, to me, doesn't sound great because of its constant comparison to truffle. 
And it's I fucking hate truffle. It would be really good in mayo. It has no. that great flavor for mayo. Not truffle. I'm not a huge truffle mayo person, but I think black garlic would be okay in small quantities in mayo. I, I feel like truffle stays in the mouth long after you're done with it. Uh, and that is already um, not my best friend. But then the flavor itself is... Forever? Yeah, no, and then also the flavor, I don't know, there's just like a soft palate flavor space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't know how else to... It's not a front of the mouth feel. Mm-hmm. It's this back of the mouth soft palate feel to truffle that I just don't like. And then that stays there Forever. for like hours. Even after you brush your teeth, if you brush your teeth soon. Well, yeah, because you afterwards. can't actually brush all of your soft palate. No. Okay, so garlic, fermented black garlic, yay, eat it, maybe it's good. Black garlic, don't eat. Because yes. it's to be pretty. Yes. And mind you, garlic flowers are really pretty. Yes. And they're edible, except for the ornamental ones. Well, now I want to eat garlic flowers. They're very mild. Well, of course they are. They're the flower part. Yeah. We'll, we'll try and them at the at bulb. some point, but we have to like actually grow our own garlic for that. Easy peasy. Yeah, you stick it in the ground and you wait. Yeah. Okay, so garlic, along with its other Allium siblings, of course found its way into ancient Mesopotamia, which is actually where a recipe from antiquity comes, in fact. Nice. Little Gilgamesh action. Okay, so we're going to eat like human kings who want to be divine. Love it. Vegetarian human kings that want to be divine. I believe it. Yeah. The recipe today is vegetarian. Nice. There are others that are very much not. You'll see them in the lamb and the beet episode. Makes but, sense. So these actually come to us, today's and the future recipes, from the Yale Babylonian tablets, which are home to over 40 cuneiform recipes. I love this. I love that, like, the things that people write down, especially when writing is not easy or um, readily, like, they're this is these are clay tablets, right? So yep. you have clay and it has to be kind of uncured. Mm-hmm. You have a stylus, you have like it's a whole thing. It's not just like grab a envelope of a bill that you don't plan on paying and your kids like colored pencil and jot something down. That's not this <laughs> In- insight to my life. Mm-hmm. Um but and and so like the time that it takes and the effort and resources that it takes to write something down in the ancient world. And thinking about what gets chosen to write down when I made a reference to Gilgamesh, right? Of course, stories of kings and gods, fine, write it down, of course. But a recipe book tablet, right? A recipe tablet, because this is not a book. Someone took the time to think that cooking and preserving their flavors was worth that time and effort and resources, which is beautiful to me. It is. It's gorgeous. And it's the idea was these were people and these recipes were written down by a person who loved food so much that they became like an early gourmand. I love it. I'm wondering, too, at this point, just because I'm trying to think of like the gender stratification and gender roles that we know about in Mesopotamia, if this would have been something written by a man or a woman, because literacy 
probably more related to men, Mm -hmm. but we always associate like cooking with women. However, the earliest of cookbooks that we have are, are from men. And so this interesting play with gender roles and whose recipes get remembered and who's writing and who has access to those things. And perhaps the recipes that get lost because of literacy issues, right? This plethora of things that become old wives tales because they weren't literate to be able to write them down were like recipes and and things that are written by men just become like scholarship or something you could have on your shelf versus those like, oh, my grandma had this secret ingredient or I wish I can get it to taste like like Nana's, you know, Um, because they just didn't have writing or reading. So super interesting. And then also how that knowledge gets passed down amongst illiterate women Mm -hmm. because you can't just hand them a recipe card and be like, bada boom, make your spaghetti. no, it's, it's mom always made it this way, mm-hmm. so I'm always going to make it this way, and yes. I'm going to teach my daughters how to make it this yep. way. That's how I am with deviled eggs. It's the same way that my great-grandmother used to make it, um, and there's slight variations, I'm sure, throughout the years. More mm-hmm. salt, less salt, more mayo, less mayo, whatever. But, like, it's still the same. And, like, even when I make them for my mom, she's like, this is what they're supposed to taste like. And when we eat somebody else's, it almost doesn't matter if they're good or not, it's, they're not right. Yeah, they're they're not ours. <laughs> yeah, which sounds snooty, but it's also just about the like familial love of food. Yeah, it's completely normal to have those those things that are important to you in that way. So we're moving into where? So we're currently in ancient Mesopotamia, and we're actually a little bit earlier than we were. This is around sixteen hundred BCE. So, you know, just a quick skip into the past real fast. Oh, yeah. These recipes on the Yale Babylonian tablets uh, were actually recreated by Yale University for, I think, like five or six of them, including the one we're doing. So that's fun. So reputable translations and recreations. Yes. It's not just some home cook on YouTube. Like no, we're gonna be. and I mean, I, I would love to be critical of the university system, particularly Ivy Leagues, but scholarship is not where I will be critical. <laughs> That's fair. So garlic features in pretty much all of these recipes, along with their accountability leak. <laughs> nice. Like, I think of the five that I found that have been, like, uh, translated... There's always add garlic, comma, leek. <laughs> At least we can see what like their staple was. If you have 40 recipes and five of what you looked at calls for not just garlic, but also leek, it's kind of... Oh, those uh, are the only publicly accessible translated ones on oh, the entire tablet. There's only five that are publicly accessible translations out of the, the 40? I think the are only for Yale Academia at this point, which is... Annoying. Now I'm going to have to find them. Yes. Just because I have access to university. Oh my gosh. Things. Yeah. Send me what they're called. I mean, don't because I'll see it in the show notes, aka look at our show notes. Uh, But yeah, now I want to see if there's like, if I can find like the museum or something that um, actually has the tablets uh, because they would have them translated. Oh, for sure. Possibly. 
in which Sam breaks into a museum at like three in the morning, learns how to translate cuneiform, does it, accidentally summons like an ancient Mesopotamian god that's all about cooking and the culinary sphere, and we have the weirdest patron ever. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's better than summoning like Enkidu. That would not be great. The wild man. No. No, no, of, that would be of, awesome. Yeah, Gilgamesh. Although, to tame him, they just sent a goddess to sleep with him, so it I at least have that skill. It didn't work, though, did it? It did, it did. Oh, it okay. became him civilized. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, wow. The what things has ever been civilized? By Poon? <laughs> <laughs> if anything, it makes them worse. Yes, yes, but apparently <laughs> sleeping with a goddess and losing one's virginity makes you less wild in the world of Mesopotamia. That is some powerful whap. <laughs> okay, yes, okay. Yes. Back to garlic. Yes, so garlic and leek were incredibly common in these. Um, literally all of the recipes that have public translations have garlic and leek in them. Uh, one of them is cooked in blood, which is weird, but it's fine. I say you worry about my people. <laughs> uh, and this is pre-Christians too, so yeah. like nobody's eating bodies and drinking bloods yet. No, <laughs> well, not religiously, apparently. No, they're cooking it first, so at least they're not getting the weird diseases. Nice animal blood. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That is, like it lamb. seems like a stupid question, but it's, it's not, not a stupid question. It's not. It's it's antiquity. Yeah. Well, and like, let's just put this out there. We're not going to demonize the the Babylonians because there will be some jackass who runs with that statement and four chans somewhere that Babylonian slash Persians because he doesn't know the difference is uh, cooking <laughs> things in human blood, probably. And- white Protestant Christian blood because he has to be enraged by it. But mm-hmm. oh. that's not what's happening here. We're right. talking about like cow's blood. Yeah. Or right. lamb. Lamb. Lamb's blood. He'll also somehow turn them Jewish. I don't know how, but he'll manage. Anyhow. But why are these things so common besides just being staples? Uh, it's because people then, like people now, showed preferences and trends in their culinary exploits. Uh, things like how fennel and truffle, once again, truffle comes up, have been trendy in the last couple of years. And how bacon was literally an entire fashion statement through like the 2010s. I think it's still a fashion statement in Southern California. You can't go anywhere without something on a menu. Having bacon. Having bacon, wrapped in bacon. That shouldn't have bacon. Okay, hot take of the day. Okay, I love you all. You can disagree. Hot take of the day. Keep your damn bacon out of my Bloody Mary. <laughs> like, Oh, Mr. Re- Birdie would fight you. I know. It's fine. It's fine. But like, and I get it. I don't eat bacon. Fine. You're like, it's her Jewy side. Even with beef bacon. Can you just keep it? I don't want the grease. I want the fat or meat in my tomato juice. And I get that as I say, like, pizza and pasta and blah, blah, blah. But, like, no. No. But but you're not drinking pizza. Yeah, no. And I don't put meat on my pizza anyways, because kosher. But regardless, like, just, can we just, like, 
keep the rotisserie chicken out of it. Keep a hamburger out of it. These are things that exist. There's in... a local place yes. that has like a $50 Bloody Mary and yeah. it has a whole ass rotisserie chicken. Yeah. And like brisket on it. The cup isn't any fucking bigger for all the food. No. It's the standard size with all the things above it. Like, it's just, just order your lunch or your brunch with a normal ass, celery stick, olive, maybe a lime. I also don't like them hot, but that's just me. That's, that's a way hot take. I get it. But acid reflux and the Jewish gut doesn't really allow, like, allow for lots of Tabasco in my Bloody Mary. I don't like mine spicy either, and I don't have the Jew gut. <laughs> I shouldn't have the Jew gut as a convert, but it's it just comes it just comes with the mikvah. Dunk in the water, you come up with gerd. <laughs> <laughs> but you're great with fermented foods, so yeah, yeah, fermented is great. Okay, now that we've had our little bacon bitch fest, <laughs> sorry, uh, we are going to just do a quick hop, skip, and a jump to Egypt, who was not left out of the Allium party. Don't you worry. So while onions were a little bit more prominent in the mythos and historic accounting from the country, garlic still weaseled its way into the picture, skirting it at the last minute, being tucked into the armpits and groins of mummies alongside onions. Telling you, your husband's smelling like garlic is maybe not the worst thing. Also, he would not smell like dead body. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, the fact that garlic and onion were used to cover up court smell is really impressive. Yeah. Although, it, I don't know, it's just giving, thir- like, turkey, though. Like, you are stuffing your your <laughs> husband with with aromatics that are delicious. So, just and then saying. And like, roasting him because it's the desert. Yeah, I mean, you're not really making a case for the lack of cannibalism in the ancient world. No. Again, nobody's eating people at this time. I'm just being an ass. <clears throat> uh, there were also clay molds of heads of garlic found inside of tombs of the rich and powerful. So, like, representations of the things they were taking into the afterlife. Nice. It's really cool. I mean, I want my t- my food to taste good in the afterlife. Me too. And if that means I need fake onions and garlic stuffed in my casket, by all means. I mean, how many of our, like, grandmas, and my mom still has these too, because she's my mom, uh, but, like, the glass grapes. Do you remember those? Yes. Okay. So I'm just saying fake garlic is not that weird. We also do like the, the fake like chili pepper yeah. decor. So yeah, I'm on board for some fake ass garlic on my shelf. Why not? Why not? It's got to look better than the grapes. My parents had foam apples. <laughs> you see well, where this is going. What happens in the South, man? I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. My, my family manages tacos, but foam. Okay. So where does this go? Did you... Were you confused? I was confused. Well, you were tiny. It's okay. Okay, so they were painted like the the red apples. Not the terrible ones with the mushy texture, but the good-ass ones. Like, <laughs> okay. what are they called? Galas? Like yeah. the reddish, yellowy, orangey ones? Yeah, Snow White Killers. Got it. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they're just in a bowl on our kitchen table where we normally put the fruit. Yeah. It was not fair. I was set up... <laughs> I was like, I was young. I was little, little. And I just picked one up and I was like, huh, that's kind of light. Weird. And then I bit it. Yeah. I didn't bite the whole thing off. But that one, I was like, 
Then, You're like, that's a texture. That is not. That is not apple. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so then I did what any, like, four-year-old does at this point, and I put it at the bottom of the bowl. <laughs> and that I is, hit it. That is the only proper response. I was like, I, I fucked up. All right. Nice, just, nice. No one needs to see or know about that. No one's going to know. Do they They're know? I mean, they know now. But they know now. <laughs> did they find out? I have no idea. Nice. I really, I really hope that your mom still just has them with your bite mark out of it. I have no idea where they went. Like, they disappeared out of the house when I was a teenager. Nice. It's because she knew. She was like, "Oh fuck!" They thought it was real food. I gotta throw this shit out before they try to eat them again. <laughs> or she thought it was my sister because at that point my sister would have been like three or four. Yeah. And she was like, ah. Yeah, I would blame it on the little sister, but that's because I'm an older sister, too. I'm just like, yeah. sorry, sis, but, like, no, that she did that shit. No, that's weird. Did. I don't do weird stuff. That's that's that one. <laughs> I'm the normal sister. Yeah, yeah. I don't eat foam fruit. Clearly, that's the weird one over here who can't talk and defend themselves. That's that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. My <laughs> sister's been talking since she was, like, 18 months old. Oh, yeah, I don't have that kind of sister. No, mine, mine started talking around then and has not stopped since. Oh, she's, yeah. <laughs> we love her, though. We love you. Very much. Love you, girl. Yeah, right. Like, I don't know when we're starting to use people's names, but today is not that day. So, oh, Birdie she's sister. literally calling me right now. I'll call her back. <laughs> well, this that's like the, like, speak of the devil and she shall Hello, appear. Peter. Just saying. You, you, got, you got bad timing, girl. <laughs> or good timing. I don't know. Bad timing right now. We're in the middle of a record. Yes. Anyways, so still in Egypt, kind of. Biblical history has Jews fleeing Egypt and scavenging garlic and other cultivated fruits and veggies like onions and melons and even fish as they were fleeing. And that has some really funny mental images for a not funny story. Like, I'm just imagining yakety sacks as they're running through Egyptian fields, like, <laughs> nabbing what they can. And because they're Jews, they're actually, like, stopping and going, oh, look at that one. It's so ripe. That one. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. Now I'm thinking, like, and it's matzo we gotta eat. And we gotta eat matzo. Like, if you're gonna be stealing, not stealing, because you're cultivating from the land in which you live, but if you're gonna run away and have enough time to be like, hell yeah, garlic, can we just eat garlic things for Passover? That'd be great. Because because matzah kind of blows. Yeah, and like I know people like matzah. I don't hate matzah, but that's also because I wasn't raised Catholic. I feel like I would hate matzah more if I had to eat like the Catholic cracker thingies. Ew. But it kind yes. of is in that same vein where it's like a saltine with no salt. Give me garlic. That's what I'm going to do. That's what we're doing for Passover. We're just going to eat shit with garlic on it. And we'll have the afikoman somewhere and be fine. But garlic. We could do like <laughs> matzah toasties smeared with garlic. This is true. They do have a garlic and herb flavored gar- uh, matzah out there in the world. Do they also have salt in it? That would be nice. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're going to move a bit north now and talk about how garlic was a performing enhancing drug in ancient Greco-Roman traditions. This is this going to be the new thing. So if you are going to play the history between bites drinking game, <laughs> this is the first rule. Anytime we talk about food, sexy, Greco-Roman, you got to take a drink. 
This one isn't actually sexy. Oh! I know! Well, save your beer. <laughs> Let's or hear you it. can drink anyway. Performance it had. Oh, so we're talking about like gladiatorial yeah. and, and Olympics. Got it. Sorry, I went straight to dicks. <laughs> I mean, there are cocks in this story. Yeah, okay. So it was like cloves of garlic were fed to fighting cocks. The birds, Sam. The birds. <laughs> Uh, and Olympic athletes. Sorry. I love that you wrote that into the script before yep. I had this moment because you knew I knew you were gonna I was going to have this moment. <laughs> it's literally birds, Sam, birds. <laughs> wow. Uh, the athletes also got a garlic massage before competing. Uh, side note, the more I learn about ancient practices like this, the more I'm convinced that everybody stank to high heaven. In the ancient world. Well, because we talked about on olive oil, how they were rubbed down with olive oil afterwards. So they start with garlic. Then they go do their thing, get gross and sweat, and then they get olive oil. Garlic makes you sticky. I don't understand this. If you've cut garlic and you have it on your skin, it makes you sticky. Yeah. And you're going to compete sticky and stinky and just... Oh. And yeah. then afterwards, they're going to marinate you mm-hmm. in olive oil. And if you won, then you get the biggest jug of olive oil. That's your prize. Sometimes wine. Sometimes it's just really good olive oil. And it's like <laughs> like an amphora, the height of me, which is not very high for a human, but for a jug. That's five a foot three, it's jug. a big ass jug. Um, yeah, so they would have like five foot jug worth of olive oil given to them as a prize. That's astounding. Yeah. At least it doesn't have to like sit on your mantle and do nothing. Yeah, you Like can every other it. prize nowadays where it's a trophy. Like, no, give me the olive oil. Okay. I wish that. I wish places did like edible trophies. That would be love. <laughs> like the chocolate Oscars? Yes. And then you just bite their head off after they do their acceptance speech. Oh, I love this. It's a little. It's giving a little like Ozzy Osbourne, but I I really love this. And then like the the one that is popcorn can just be a, popcorn. A bucket of popcorn. Yeah, but and I guess with people who make an obscene amount of money, a bucket of popcorn would be not so great as a reward. I don't know. They're all turning poverty food into like really nice gourmet shit so they could have really nice gourmet popcorn that doesn't taste as good as the shit you get at your local movie theater nice are we talking about sea bugs again (laughs) gourmet food that is lobster ribs yeah like pork and beef ribs used to be poor food Mm because like there's not a ton of meat on there and you're having to eat around the spoon and it takes a long time because if you do it right you gotta cook them slow so they just fall apart and they're not chewy and now they cost an obscene amount of money. It's stupid. Anyways, garlic. Uh, Romans and Greeks often reference the smell of alliums, particularly garlic, as a smelly mask for poor behavior, for everything from infidelity to treachery. I love this. A smelly mask for poor behavior. So if you go to the brothel mm-hmm. and you've done brothelly things, mm-hmm. you're just going to put garlic over you so you don't smell like oh you would mask like the smell of sex and your wine breath by chewing on some garlic cloves and it was either to mask wine breath 
Or it was just to keep your spouse away from you. Oh, that's fun. Long enough for it to wear off. I, w- I wonder now if, like, garlic will take out, like, lipstick on a collar. <laughs> it's like the original anti-lipstick on a collar. It's like lipstick on your toga. If you get coal on your toga, use garlic. Just rub a little garlic on it. Yeah. We- will it help? No. But your spouse won't get close enough to notice. No, no. And she'll, yeah, no, definitely not. And she's not laundering your things anyways. Your slaves are. Uh, the plant itself is also considered medicinal with Pliny the Elder, which is also the name of a beer that Mr. Birdie loves. Should you be able to get your hands on it and are curious. It is an IPA, though, so your mileage may vary. Uh, Pliny the Elder listed 61 uses, including snake repellent, bite wounds, and an extractant for everything from pus to arrowheads. Interesting. Does it work? Who the hell knows? Certainly not me. I wasn't planning on stabbing myself with an arrowhead and seeing if garlic could get it out. Hippocrates got on the medicine train by prescribing it to ease the breath and act as a diuretic. Ease the... Oh, like if you... If you're congested. Oh, okay. Like if you're congested or you have like an asthmatic flare-up, chew on some garlic and it'll help like ease things up. I mean, I can see it opening up some sinuses. Yeah. Also, I can too, if you're chewing on raw garlic. Uh, yeah. Side note for Pliny the Elder, Elder, not just a beer, but also one of the most ridiculous, badass deaths in all of Greek history, which is saying a lot because it's Greek history. So Pliny the Elder, he was in, he was in Pompeii, and instead of fleeing, he basically took his fucking lawn chair and sat and said, I'm going to watch this mofo blow up because it's amazing and I'm never going to get a fucking show like this again. And he died in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, probably drinking ash wine. Well, wine that not had ashes in it because okay, knows. Did he have his dick in his other hand? I mean, he's a Greek, so probably. I think it's just yeah. always there. Yeah, he at least had a dick charm around him somewhere. <laughs> They're all over. Also, there's a lot of um, phallic representations in Pompeii. We found a ton. We like I found archaeologists have found a ton of um, like pornographic graffiti in we Pompeii. People going at it too. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean that's one way to die. Yeah, there's like the the Not molds. Going. Yeah, like the molds. You're like, yeah, it's cool. It's just me, baby. I just rock your world. You're like, no, you're about to die because of a fucking volcano. <laughs> well, that's one eruption that will somehow be more disappointing than your own. <laughs> this is this is true. But yeah, Pliny the Elder. Uh, weird, weird side notes. But yeah, okay, so Pliny, and then we moved on to Hippocrates, who didn't have any idea of where a uterus was or the fact that it stayed in place. No, he thought it wandered around your body and made you pissed off about things. Yeah, it would like eat parts of your body. So it could like eat your liver or eat your kidney or eat at your brain. And anytime a woman had any feelings, it was called hysteria. And it comes from the Greek word for uterus, which, by the way, was still a condition that could be a diagnosable condition up until the late 70s, I do believe, early to late 19, 1970s. And the cure for it was an orgasm. So women who had postpartum depression or just, you know, feelings and didn't want to be housewives would go to the doctor and say, I feel like shit. And the doctor would say, you have hysteria, lay back and relax. And they would manually produce 
an orgasm for women. And then doctors found it to be so fucking annoying to have to do this that they created an apparatus to do this. And it was like a whole thing that... It's like it's just like it's a big thing that was like supposed to like zip zip your parts, and then a woman said, "Fuck that! I'll just invent the vibrator and do this myself." Thus, the invention of the vibrator. Not not related to garlic. Not related to garlic, but not not related. Correct. (laughs) Basically, one dude was completely sexist and ignorant of the female body. Ergo, Proctor, whatever (laughs) vibrator. Yes. Yes. Okay. Back into this. Uh, <laughs> ancient South Central Asian texts hold that garlic was created either by fallen nectar from the heavens or the blood of a demon king, and is something of a cure-all. But despite all of these medicinal remedies and things like that, monks were often forbidden alliums because apparently all good things are bad for your piety. <laughs> I, I mean, because smelly breath. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a big discrepancy between where it comes from, like. That's not that. That's a big margin of error. Yeah, like fallen nectar or demon blood. Yeah, like that's a that's. A, it's not like oh well, maybe it comes from the flower, maybe it comes from the stem. No, no, fallen nectar, demon, demon blood. Although that is pretty badass to be like. I don't. know, It seems a little metal. <laughs> I think the fallen nectar is from like early proto-Hindu religious text, and then it's, like, explicitly Hindu texts later on that posit the demon king thing. Makes sense. But I couldn't verify dates on that, so I was like, I love I'll it. mention them both. I love all good things are bad for piety. It's true. It is. It really doesn't matter the tradition. It doesn't. Like, do you enjoy it? Do you like it? Devil. No. Yep. <laughs> it's getting water boy. <laughs> it's a very old reference. <laughs> Very old reference. It's a good one. Um, Okay, so bad for piety. This extends past the borders of Rome and into Eastern ascetic traditions as well, with certain practitioners of Buddhism and nearly all Jainist traditions refusing alliums, including garlic, uh, which is just another reason why ascetic and monastic traditions don't really make sense to me. Well, we talked about this with honey. So again, they don't eat honey, and now they don't eat garlic. And I mean, you can have other good foods without those but like in the ancient world i don't know you're cutting a lot of tastiness out of your out of your diet and like flavor is hard enough to build in a home kitchen why are we making it worse one it's hard enough to build in a home kitchen in a postmodern world where we can have access to things year-round from all over the world like yeah we went to a grocery store and bought leeks yeah we didn't have to grow them ourselves or wait for the right season, whatever season. I, I don't even know what season it is because I don't care. Because they're in my grocery store 360 right. days out of the year. There's going to be five days that they're not there. It's going to be like one of the five days I want them. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, we don't have to think about things like that. Watch, you're going to end up loving the, like, ancient Mesopotamian recipe. And you're just going to be like, well, I made the soup again. Yeah, it's going to be like my new comfort f- soup because I have two comfort soups. I'm hoping that one of these becomes a third. The garlic soup is pretty awesome. Nice, nice. Okay, moving further east, we're going to talk about Korea, which has a near reverence for garlic. There's an entire museum dedicated to this beloved little plant. Uh, it also features prominently in the country's foundational myth with a combination meal of garlic and mugwort, turning the future wife of the Prince of Heaven from a bear into a human. 
sometime prior to 230, 33 BCE. I like this story. <laughs> Me too. It was really cool. That's it all I've like, heard of this. And I like this. You're like, yeah, what civilizes humans? Garlic. And mugwort. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about mugwort. I've never had it. But, but garlic? Yeah, yes. for sure. Let's fast forward just a tiny bit to uh, 220 CE. Just a little bit. Just a tiny bit. Hop, skip, and a jump. Uh, this is after garlic has gained a stronghold in Europe. Why? Because as with many things in European history, you can thank the Romans. <laughs> this is when the first major rabbinic literature referred to Jews as the garlic eaters. I told you we'd come back to Jews. Yeah, yeah. This may or may not have had anything to do with the actual Jewish diet at the time. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, who was the progenitor of this particular remark, may have just fallen back on the racist canard that Jews smelled funny. Maimonides didn't mention it in his guidelines for Jewish eating, but we can't be perfect all the time. We're bound to forget something, and Rambam is no different. The Talmud, however, does state that men can increase their virility by eating garlic during Shabbat dinner. See, I'm not that far off. You were like, oh, Sam's always thinking about dicks. It's a Jewish thing, apparently. It's right there. Oh, there you go. The Maybe Talmud that... was written by a bunch of dudes, so. I mean, almost all of Jewish literature pre, I don't know, 1900 is written by men. Regardless of whether or not Jews considered garlic culturally important at the time, artists certainly did, as they depicted Jews with garlic all the time <laughs> in medieval manuscripts. I don't know if I know about it in this, like, the top of my head. This is fascinating. It's really weird because I was like, I read that in the book that I used for the primary source of this. And then I just typed into Google, Jews and garlic medieval manuscript, and they're everywhere. This is fun. It's really weird. It's kind of fun. It's really weird. We're going to widen our medieval scope a little bit to around 800 CE. After the truly and gloriously cleaving of the Orthodox Church from the Catholic one, Charlemagne mandated that 90 fruits and vegetables should be grown around his kingdom, which included garlic and other alliums. The man had a little bit of a hard-on for alliums anyways, because they made up like 5% of the essential plants for his empire. Sorry, I just googled the image. What? I told you. I told this is you. not garlic, that's a bris. <laughs> it's a really aggressive, aggressive bris. Just a grown-ass man. Yeah. That's a lot of blood. Is that? No, we're not. It's not that guy. Uh-uh. I mean, he does have a thingy here. It's not the J-Man. It's not the J-Man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen, like... Sorry. I was like, wait, hold up. This is... Okay. It's weird. It's... Yeah, lots of... But I mean, like, there's lots of pictures with, like, pomegranates and stuff, too. So, like, food in the context of, like, religious artistry. This is a Passover one because they're sacrificing lambs. I was trying to read the Hebrew. Nope. But yeah, that's interesting with the garlic. Sorry. I sub no, you're fine. So Orthodox churches. So he mandated 90 fruits? Yep. That should be eaten. That should be grown. Oh, should be grown. Okay. All over vegetable patches, there were things like onions and leeks and garlic and melons and shallots and chives. Like. Nice. He was like. He's a foodie. Yes. He was a foodie. I and he that. was like, these need to be ready for me to eat literally anywhere I go in my empire. Nice. So you're all supposed to grow them. You know, um, the guy who plays Sauron is a descendant from... Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Can't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head and everyone's screaming at me. Christopher um, Lee. Yeah. He also has a metal band. A metal album that he recorded. That he, like, basically portrays himself as Charlemagne. And I think he played him in something. It's wild. He's... 
He was also a spy during World War II, and he described how it sounds when you stab a man. Yeah, it's like my favorite thing that my husband ever told me. I, like, so I know he loves me, and that's great to hear, too. But this story was like, what? That he, like, told Peter Jackson, right? No, yeah. who did hot? Yeah. So Lord of the Rings, he's just like, yeah, he wouldn't make that sound when he you would stab scream. him. He was like, yeah, you wouldn't yell. It sounds more like... <gasps> And I'm like, that's so fun. I get goosebumps even when I talk about that. Like, this guy's like, yeah, that's yeah I know that because I've done it. Yeah. Or I've at least seen it done. And it hasn't really affected me that much. Yeah. Like, hey, just so you know, this is what it sounds like when you kill somebody. <laughs> Anyways, he's amazing. And I hope that he lives forever. He's still alive, right? Nope. Oh, well, good. may his memory be for a blessing. Not really, because he's definitely that. not Jewish, but whatever. <laughs> All the things that are going to get cut from these episodes. <laughs> all the things patreon right okay so medieval europe's relationship with alliums is a really weird one it's very odd uh <laughs> they were often thought of as peasant food so okay. they had this like stratified system of what were the best foods and which were the like lowest foods and it literally went from how close they were to the ground so the ones that grew on trees were the best foods the ones that were on bushes were the next ones. The ones that grew in like shrubby things like peas and peppers were the next level. Things that were like root vegetables were bad, like peasanty. And then things that were like bulbous, like garlic, like onion, those were the lowest of the low, which yeah. is phenomenally funny. Well, and like, so we don't have the potato at this point. So, like, these are really the only things that are like growing in, in the ground or like these bulb. Yep. Bulb, uh, vegetables. Yes. But I just love that, like, all of medieval Europe said, hmm, science? Nah. nah. <laughs> We're just going to go and go, what's closest to heaven? Those are the good ones. And if they grow on a tree, they're the best. I can't blame them after eating apples, though. I love an apple. I'm also pregnant and crave them all the time. Yeah. So. But, and sure, f fruit grow on tree more predominantly than vegetables off the top of my head. Like, uh, fine, great. Fruit uh, tastes better than vegetables. I mean, fine, I'm going to make it that 70s show reference real fast. Picking carrots off of trees. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know, it's just, it's so funny to me that, like, you read things about the medieval period in Europe, and you're just like, literally, they were like, whatever our eyes can see, unless it's Jesus, we're just going to go with that. Yep. And then if their eyes did see something, but somehow Jesus doesn't agree with that, they don't default to the orbitals. They default to the guy who's not a guy, who's a god, but is kind of a guy. Who, who didn't this weekend for you. Who didn't kill himself, because that's a sin, but also did kill himself because he's God? Just go with it. It's mythology. I love how Relax. many people are... Hopefully we're pissing off a lot of people right now. Bye-bye. Sorry if you're a Christian. <laughs> Kinda. It gets worse. It only gets worse from here, guys. Fundamental Christians, are, this is not the place for you. This is episode three. <laughs> well, then they know early. They don't invest a long time, and they get real pissed off at us when they feel like we betrayed them. Nah, this is just us out the gate. Let the hate mail flow. Whatever. Early and often. Early and often. At historybetweenbites at gmail.com. Please send me your thoughts. Address it to Sam. I'll end up dramatically reading it out loud and we'll mock you. It'll be great. It'll be listener tales. It'll be great. Yes. Okay. Okay. So another super weird thing about like garlic and onions, they're depicted as vulgar. 
But the early church, both Catholic and Orthodox, because they have similar food restrictions, prescribed them as delicious additions to meatless meals for fasts in the aristocracy. So like, oh, you can't have game or beef or lamb because it's Friday and that's not okay. So have a garlic and onion soup. If you're an aristocrat. If you're an aristocrat. This is this is like the beginnings of indulgences. Yeah. Like if you have status and clearly the status has been bestowed upon you because of some sort of piety, because that's how reward and punishment works in medieval European Christianity. Mm-hmm. Don't come at me. Or do. I did give you the email address. <laughs> so if you're an aristocrat, you're more... Like holy. you're more holy, right? Which we all fucking know that's not right. But you're more holy, so you can indulge in things that are vulgar because you can handle it. Unlike the filthy, filthy peasants who can't handle it because they're already struggling with the devil. Well, it's already considered peasant food, what so the fuck? like they have it already because they're they're poor, so they're God, beyond it's... redemption, anyways. <laughs> unless they like live the rest of their life exactly right. But these aristocrats are giving plenty of money to the church. I mean, I mean, are holier, mm-hmm. literally holier than thou. So they have to maintain their palate as being good and holy and completely unbalanced. You can't fucking fun. wait for butter. Oh, it's going to be so fun. The, the amount of shit I am going to shit on <laughs> the Catholic Church. Ancient Catholic Church, guys, don't trip. But like, for no, the- we're not even getting into the child sex abuse scandal. No, 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 no. We're just talking about indulgences, and I'm not talking about like, oh, well, I like to indulge in a little pedicure. No, like legit fucking spending money to get out of sins and get out of hell bullshit. Sorry to all of my students, or maybe not, because now you know what I'm talking about. You're fucking welcome. But like, butter is all over that. I can't wait. Can't it's wait. Gonna be so. Great. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. You're taking the butter episode. I am so taking I butter because I want to talk about Martin Luther. And butter and Martin Luther go together like butter peanuts and, and uh, wash George Washington. Like what in George Washington? I'm making it up. I think there's a connection. <laughs> <laughs> George Washington Carver. Right. Yeah, I figured it out. There you go. Yeah, not you white George it. Washington and black George Washington. <laughs> the good one. <laughs> and I extend that to the Hamilton <laughs> cast as well. Just saying. <laughs> Any black George Washington I'm good with. The white ones? Meh. So he wrote a letter to the Jews and said, I hope you're happy. It's a fucking letter. Let's see some action. I mean, he also rode across the Potomac to kill his enemies in their sleep on Christmas. That's very Jewish. <laughs> I don't know about you, but do you know the story of when like, they walked into the... To the village or the the people when they're sleeping to circumcise them all. It was was wasn't it after they were circumcised themselves? And oh yeah, then they yes. killed the shit out of all of them. Yeah, because they raped somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they raped King David. Don't quote me on that, but he, he, they raped. I believe it was David's daughter, and they were like, "Well, so law says that if you sleep with her, then you have to marry her, but you're not of us, you're a Philistine. So you have to be circumcised and all of your people need to be circumcised. And this guy was like, dibs on the daughter forever. Um, and so had all of his people circumcised. And then they're like, ha so you're all sore and weak because your dick just got cut. Stabby, stabby in your sleep, you can't fight back. Okay, bye. Just say, it's a more exciting Trojan horse. Yeah, Get at me, Romans. Or, or Greeks, right? 
Just yeah. saying. You didn't cut the dicks for You didn't talk people into circumcision and then kill them. You just gave them a fancy gift. See, this is why people are scared of Jewish princesses. <laughs> but no, Washington rode across the Potomac on Christmas Eve to kill a bunch of Hessian mercenaries. I mean... In their sleep. On hate, Christmas. Hate is a powerful thing. Maybe he was just like, I'm going to bring them salvation. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jesus. I'm sending a bunch of them to you. Right? Here's my birthday present. Fuck your myrrh. I got you people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's get back on, on topic here. You might be sitting here marinating over all of that and going, wait, how is a vegetable vulgar? How can a bulb of garlic be vulgar? Oh, because it's curvy, yo. <laughs> she thick. My beloved <laughs> listeners, I'm going to warn you that you will never, ever, you should never, ever underestimate how horny medieval Europe was. Onions <laughs> and garlic feature heavily in erotic poetry oh, of this. the time. I don't get it. But it exists, and it's really genuinely as weird as it sounds. Okay, so from somebody who has read, clearly, because all I keep thinking about is how this is going to reference the ancient world with sex, because everything mm-hmm. does. But as someone who has read a few things in that space, um, I don't know, cut, a, cut an onion in half, and then imagine you've never seen a vagina, <laughs> but what you think it might look like. Oh. An onion's was- not that far off. There are... There are worse depictions of vaginas I've seen. Yeah. But, like, the the poem that was used as an example in the book I was reading was talking about how uh, Onion stands erect in its bed, and it is gripped at its base Mm -hmm. by a woman and pulled forth and squeezed in a tight, dark place, and that she will feel the effects later on with a tear in her eye wink <sighs> i love it i love it that's that's medieval europeans it's going on a tea cloth and in, in my kitchen <laughs> getting embroidered etsy here we come come at me etsy you should be a an ad but just telling you it's going it's going on a cutting board or something i'll, I'll send you the poem i fucking love it yes okay <laughs> so as horny as medieval europe is for alliums and it is uh, they also use them for balancing humors. Ah, the four humors. Yes. You want to uh, explain what those are first to listeners who don't know what the humors are? Uh, what humorous Yes, but medicine I'm not is? super great at it, so mm-hmm. do you Do you have a better Yeah, I believe it's like sight, scent, smell, like it's the senses. Yes, but it's in like liquid form. So there's like phlegmatic, and there's melancholic, and there's... Oh, God. I'm bad at this. Yeah, so it's pre-germ theory. Yeah, during miasma. Because that's what they were um, leaning into during the Black Death was um, uh, humoristic medicine. Yes. Uh, here it is. Okay. Sanguine, which is blood, phlegmatic, mm-hmm. phlegm, choleric, and melancholy. Nice. Yeah. Choleric would have been more like your biles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then melancholy is just, you've got the sad feels. <laughs> So, choleric would have also dealt with, like, so the biles would have also dealt with urine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because that's how, it's very strange, urine medicine before urinalysis or, like, an actual thing, wild. Like, they would just, like, smell women's pee and be like, yes, you you doth pregnant. And you're like, I'm, what? It's very strange. 
And then they would try to use it to turn it into, like, fucking gold, because alchemists, I don't know, I'm overlapping things, but... Men. People played with pee for a long time. Men. <laughs> okay, so, with the whole bloodletting blood craze that took place during all of this, one of the less invasive ways people tried to balance their humors was eating the right food at the right time and with the right complementary other foods to balance it all out. So the same thing that we're doing now. So you have whole foods, intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and eating them with other things so that you can get all of the nutrients that you can out of it, which food science knows about now, right? Like, yes. don't you have to have a fat with carrots or you can't actually... Yeah. Like, absorb the nutrients from a carrot. So, yeah, yeah like beta this... carotene is uh, fat soluble. So, yeah. cooking them in a fat, like a butter. Yeah. Or like dipping them into ranch dressing. Like, they're like, oh, ranch dressing, that's so many calories and it's so good. It's so bad for you. Yes, but like, also, it makes your carrots pointless if you don't dip them into something like that if you're eating them raw. Salad dressing, guys. It's there for more than just giving plant water flavor. Yeah, just use it. Just use it. Don't, don't be sad about it. Just use it. If you're putting it on a salad, I was just listening to another podcast that talked about this, so I do apologize for my morbid ladies who literally just had this rant. But, like, if you're eating vegetables, cover it in whatever the fuck you want because you're still eating vegetables. I, I'm 100% on never, ever feel shame about the food that you're eating. No. Unless it's actually going to kill you. So, you know, diabetics beware, I suppose, but like, don't feel bad. You should feel bad if you finish a whole fucking bag of Reese's peanut butter cups and you know you have diabetes and you're on your last vial of insulin. That's not great. Not a true story, sort of a true story, but not about me. Anyways, like, sure, feel bad. But like, in general, if you enjoy your food, enjoy your food. Yeah. I am all about eating the things that bring you joy and not just because I'm growing a human and I want all the weird things. (laughs) And you, I do want all the weird You don't want all the weird things yet. You wait. You're very early on. Wait till you want, like, a pickle stuffed with mozzarella. I was eating a pickle dipped in tomato soup the other day. Okay, so I'm sorry. Pickles in what? Tomato soup. Oh, okay. A grilled cheese sandwich stuffed inside the pickle. I love you so much. It was so good. I mean, it sounds delicious. And so I'm not pregnant, but so I have good. had babies, so I get it. Okay, so you're eating weird shit. I am eating some weird shit. If you crave durian, I'm out. Oh, no. Okay, I'm just I'm just out. You That's would have like, to know what it tastes like to crave it, so I'm hoping that you just don't know that flavor. I don't. Okay. I don't. I do know it smells a little bit like a corpse, and that's um, for me. Sort of. It, it does stink really bad. I've never smelled a corpse, so I can't tell you, but it does smell bad. Um, my thing was the flavor and texture really fucked me up, because it comes out in, like lobes Ew. it's the only way i can describe it no. like you scoop a lobe out Ugh. uh-huh and then <laughs> sorry i'm gonna try not to gag here so you bite into it and it has the consistency of um it's kind of custard feeling which makes no sense you would think that it'd be more like like solid no and then it tastes like oh sorry it doesn't feel custardy. it feels like scrambled eggs it feels like scrambled eggs and it tastes like Onion custard. I have <laughs> one thing to say to that, and then we are moving on from this part of this conversation. And that thing is... <laughs> I tried it at San Diego State 
when I was a grad student there. And we were up on the sixth floor. If you go to San Diego State, you know, so Arts and Letters, sixth floor has a balcony. We took it out to the balcony because I told my office mate, not only did I, but three of the professors on the fifth floor said that if we cut into this motherfucker on that floor, they were going to not approve our thesis, uh, basically. So we go to the sixth floor, and there were humans out there, and we we're like, hey, guys, you might want to not sit downwind, uh, to which they didn't believe us, and then quickly ran inside once we cut it open. And it was it was an experience, let me tell you. The the human, my, my uh, work wife is what I call her, mm-hmm. she loves it. So she had it, she brought it, and she was loving life in this moment. And me and... Um, another grad student were trying it and he was kind of okay with it but was like this is not really my favorite thing I did not like it and then much like truffles it stays with you for a very 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 long time I think it was two days I have two days I have zero desire for any of that Thank yeah you. great perfect then we are a-okay for everything else we're going to try on this podcast fabulous okie dokie bloodletting right just <laughs> got through that uh, with the complimentary other foods. Garlic in particular was really popular for balancing and was often used in sauces to this end. Like, aristocrats would hire professional sauciers <laughs> just to build these kind of, like, sauces to complement their food nice. and to help balance everything out. Because garlic, unlike its cousins, leeks and onions, was considered hot and dry as opposed to cold, cold and, and wet. wet. Yeah. So that would also lean into some of the like depictions of um, sexuality because if it's a if it's a dry and hot that's masculine or it's cold, cold and, and wet, wet is feminine that's why you have like the like sun and moon also have those attributes um interesting super interesting because it was hot and dry uh there are physicians who wholly recommended against it particularly for uh those of spanish and italian descent i put extant in yeah, here because cool. i'm dumb <laughs> no, it's just it's pregnancy brain. It's fine. But it was due to how hot-blooded they already were. Uh, caliente? <laughs> but by the 1790s, garlic's garlic was heavily prescribed against for women of good breeding, as it was apparently make them ugly and horrendous and hot-blooded crones with opinions. How oh, yeah. terrible. Um, can confirm. <laughs> I fucking love garlic. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know about ugly or horrendous, but hot-blooded and opinionated, absolutely. I think that describes both of us. Yes, yes, yes. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but you know, maybe I, I, don't, I don't know. I see myself over summer. Horrendous might be a an, an actual. <laughs> okay, next history between bites T-shirt needs to be hot-blooded, opinionated crone with a picture of garlic. Yes, <laughs> I love this. I'm taking notes. Merch will, will be a thing at some point. <laughs> so across the way, the way, way, way away down the Silk Road, uh, the Mughal Empire was developing the precursor to what are known today as curries. Ooh. I know. Spiced meat dishes simmered in spiced sauces with onions and garlic. And the British naturally got their hands on these and took them everywhere. Thus, the curry, which is not actually a traditional Indian staple when they were created, but are now absolutely a staple of Indian food all over the West, became extremely popular. Wait, you mean that British people went into India, grabbed something from there, 
took it back to England and coined it as exotic Indian food. And it's amazing? Mm-hmm. No. I know. What? Weird. There's a reason that curry is like the English national dish. Yeah, because colonization <laughs> is the English national dish. That's the what that national just That's just what it tells me. It's like when your national dish is something that is more related to the country in which you oppressed, your real natural like culinary dish is racism. And that they couldn't even come up with anything that tasted good on their fucking own. So they have to be like, Indian food. I'm not going to do the accent. I'm going to do the accent. That would be super racist. That would have been terrible. Yeah, sorry. That was like my own British ancestry trying to correct my nonsense (laughs) right now. When I know for damn sure, y'all like to eat racism and colonization for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and your mid-evening snack. Yeah. But curries. Yeah, please. By all means. Now we want curry. Now I want curry. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, but it's not all miracle cure this and everyone should have this, that, in India itself, though. Uh, Ayurvedic medicine is one of those traditions where those with more ascetic lifestyles should abstain, with the exception of medicinal uses, from garlic due to its raising passions and making meditation harder. Quick break? No, I'm ignoring it. I'm not expecting anybody. Sweet. My doorbell just rang, podcast listener, and uh, I've already had... A solar guy come to my door and Jehovah's Witnesses, so I'm done answering the door to strangers. (laughs) So this is also where we begin to see Northwest Europe coming to prefer onions over garlic and vice versa for Southeast Europe. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, onions became the thing in, like, the cold, shitty parts of Europe. Mm -hmm. And then you go down south towards the Mediterranean, and all of a sudden people are like, yeah, this garlic shit's fucking tits. <laughs> Sorry, I was not prepared for that. I had a question ruminating in my mind, and then all of a sudden it's for the tits, and I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared. Uh, is there, question, uh, is there a difference between, like, which one of those thrives better in colder climates? Like, do onions do better in a colder climate? And, like, garlic not so much? Or does, like, the colder climate create, like, a pungent taste or, I don't know, something with garlic? So pretty much all alliums do super well in, like, colder soils. Oh, okay. They, like, onions are the original weed in that they do well everywhere. Northeastern, or sorry, Northwestern Europe becomes more onion, while the Southeast Europe becomes garlic. Yes. It's a more Mediterranean garlic, and that's probably where my ideas of, like, early on were, like, garlic is a Mediterranean thing versus... That's where you're getting that. Yeah, 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 which makes sense, because I didn't associate it with, say, like, Norway. No. But if you said that, like, oh, we're going to make an onion dish, and it's an old Viking dish, I kind of wouldn't bat an eye at it. You'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, makes sense. We've already talked about colonizing a little bit, but <laughs> Europe, particularly England, deciding to colonize the New World during the 17th century, they brought their beloved alliums with them. More onion than garlic, but there's evidence of both. And they thrived in New England. New England soil isn't good for shit. <laughs> but garlic yeah. and onion... But alliums already existed here. I love it. Wild varietals of garlic and onion were already known as culinary staples with native inhabitants. So still unimpressive. 
Yes. Yeah, so they come here, and they're like, we're going to bring you Christianity and garlic. And literally, they're like, we really don't need either one of those things. No, we like, already have one, and we don't really want the other. No. Could you stop? If we could have just been okay with forcing the garlic. Yeah, that would have been fine. We're, cool, great. You already have it. Lovely. Let's let's blend some traditions. Let's exchange recipes. Everything could have been great. But no. No, no. Gotta got bring in stringent and rigid theology. Of course you do. Because then how else do you prove that you're better than the savages? Oh, God. On the okay. land that you're colonizing. Obviously, Sam. Obviously, jeez. You'd think I'd know this as a white person, but <laughs> nope. Doesn't make sense. But after our very brief, like, sojourn into the new, new world, we're going to pop back over to Europe for just a little while. Uh, to talk about the mystical properties of garlic. We talked a lot about like the actual physical properties and the science, which is all really cool, and the medicinal, but this is like pretty strictly mystical. Nice. Some magic. I dig this. Yes. Cool. Crusaders were the very first to use these mystical properties, thinking that garlic warded off demons and more generic evil. I see where this is going. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It's the next sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also used against vampires for the same reason, because of the Slavic roots of vampiric legends. Legend has them as evil or unclean spirits that are inhabiting the recently deceased to to feed on the blood of livestock and people. Yeah, but not like specifically vampire yet. Not yet. Yeah, it's Uh, just this connection between demonic... Blood-sucking thing. Ghosty something that can take over human form. Yes. And make them undead. Yes. Got it. And then we get to the next sentence here. Mm -hmm. 1897's Dracula actually popularized this mythos with garlic and its vampire repellent properties and vampirism itself. There is an earlier novel literally titled Vampire from 1818, but it wasn't nearly as popular. Is that the the lesbian one? It is a little bit gay. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, it's where like the vampire is a female Mm -hmm. and she's like seducing. She's a succubus Mm -hmm. for a bunch of other chicks. Correct. Written by a man. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Not, I can't remember where it was written, and I will find it, but uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but fascinating. I was like, I have to read this now. It's a really quick read. Yeah, it's not long. Like, it was basically a novella. Yeah. And of course, because it was about women, it wasn't super popular. Even gay women. Yeah, exactly. Although, if you're going to demonize something and turn it into a fucking vampire, I suppose. A lesbian is pretty common. One, like, I mean, in that time period, it would have worked, right? Like, if you're trying. If you're trying to figure out what you want, what's the most evil thing you can come up with? (laughs) Yeah, I guess lesbians are the most. Well, yeah, but Jews are their own kind of demons. That, yeah, no, but the lesbian demons, that that you can become one of those. Sorry. Uh, modern cinema often kind of waves away the magical properties of garlic with regards to vampires. Um, I think it's because, like, tossing a hunk of garlic down somebody's throat is a little less dramatic than, like, beheading them or shooting them with a silver bullet or driving a stake through their heart. Or jumping on their shoulders and ripping their head off with your sparkly body and burning it while your girlfriend goes eh, on the ground. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but I think the garlic is funnier, personally. Yeah, I would love to see like the Edward Cullen garlic 
He just breaks out in hives. Yeah. Sparkly hives. I love it. It'd be the perfect Christmas. Oh my god. Like, we just need something to turn some green Twilight Christmas, and you just turn his sparkles red, and bada boom, you got yourself a a treat topper. You just rub a little bit of garlic on the tip of his (laughs) nose, and then he's Rudolph the red-nosed vampire. I love it. I love it. So we're gonna we're gonna push away from vampires and a little bit of the historicity of garlic, uh, because I want to talk about why they've maintained their popularity through the ages. And that's fucking because, delicious. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Well, why? Why? Kind of. Yes, <laughs> but they are how they've always been. They're easy to grow. They're hearty and they're delicious. Garlic, but more especially onions, featured heavily in Victory Gardens during the Second World War uh, because they're easy. You plant them and you forget them. We've also done our best to make them even more shelf-stable for as long as possible. But garlic and onions in their original form, prior to any kind of industrial processing or anything like that, if you keep them out of direct sunlight and in a cool room, they last for like six months. Yeah, it's obnoxious. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's great though because like some, I mean, I cook with garlic a lot, but I will also buy like a big handful of clove, like a, of garlic cloves at a time. Mm-hmm. And then like, sometimes I'm like, shit, I have not shot for garlic in a minute. And I don't know if there's any, like, if we have anything. And then there's always like the one that got hidden underneath like a banana or something in my. And it's fine. And it's totally fine. You're like, oh, that one is a little brown. So take that one off and keep cooking. Like they're always amazing. And it like, yeah, unless it's black. Yeah. One of my friends has her pantry with, like, these huge windows. It's her pantry and laundry room. But the sun would always hit where she keeps her onions and garlic. Nope. And it would sprout them or they'd rot or whatever. Yep. And I was like, here, let's try this. And we just moved them over Mm -hmm. and put something in front of them. And all of a sudden, they're fine. Or paper bag them. Yeah. Yeah, keep Either your one. keep your onions in a paper bag. Also, keep them separate from your potatoes. Onions and potatoes together facilitate the sprouting of the potatoes. You got to keep them separated. <laughs> Victory Gardens. <laughs> uh, yes. So we've done our, our best to make them shelf-stable uh, with everything from industrial processing, which I couldn't find a ton on because apparently a lot of that's industry secrets. But I suspect it's like some sort of chemical reagent to slow down like the actual growth. Like they spray on things like apples mm-hmm. and stuff. Well, then you you can also buy like jars of minced garlic. And yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of like added preservative salt or something that keeps, yeah. um, keeps it a little bit longer. Yes. And... Dehydrate, rehydrate models, which is, side note, why McDonald's onions taste like that? I love them, though. I do, too. I love a dehydrated onion. I know. (laughs) You dehydrate, you rehydrate, you toss them on a burger, and suddenly they're really good. So delicious. The good old US of A is the world's largest market for dried garlic products, like garlic powder, which is surprising to exactly no one who has seen how we cook here. No. It's easy, it's easy to add in the flavor, and you don't have to worry about, like, getting your hands dirty or mm-hmm. taking an extra five minutes to cut up a clove of garlic. Yeah. It's really kind of sad, but... It's also, a, 
like strong enough flavor to where you can say that you have spiced your food, but not so strong of a flavor that it becomes an like overarching flavor bully. And because it has this um, ambiguity or like a multi-purpose sort of um, recipes in which that it can find itself into, it becomes something that's easy to kind of just throw into whatever. Like you make a hamburger, throw some garlic powder on it. Fried like, chicken. Yeah, like all of these things you just can like add to it because it adds a little bit of that something that's more than salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not cumin, right? And And I love cumin, but like cumin is not necessarily associated with like basic American white cuisine because it's a flavor bully and because it's in things that have what we would think of as having like a higher spice content. So a lot of Mexican food has cumin in it. Traditional Mexican food has cumin in it. Um, Curries have cumin in it, right? Things that we think of as like, ooh, that's a spice, not fucking mashed potatoes, Right, but you throw some garlic powder in your mashed potatoes, and when chop up of a green onion over the top, and bada boom, you think you've got the world's best fucking herb garlic mashed Mashed potatoes potatoes in the world, and all you did was take like signature select and just spritz it over the top. Right, and again, I'm not hating. It's better than not doing anything, but it is one of those things that it becomes um, an easy additive for dishes, especially for novice cooks yeah and quick it's it's an easy thing for quick like quick meals yeah cool great salt pepper garlic salt or garlic powder onion powder you're done yeah it's also great for things like making breading so like the Mm -hmm. kosher fried chicken i made for my birthday celebration Mm -hmm. that had a ton of garlic powder yeah because you're not actually using like a good fat dairy for that like the, the buttermilk, when you're doing traditional mm-hmm. fried chicken, you get some of that, like, just like the... The fatty delicious. Yeah, the fatty, the creaminess, things like that. Well, And when you're soaking it in oat milk... Almond milk. Almond yeah. milk. Okay, but, like, that's literally fucking water. I don't know. I, again, hot take on almond milk. It's just water. Uh, it's nut juice. <laughs> Podcast lister, I really wish you could see Sam's face right now. Also wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Okie dokie. So, uh, but it's just, it doesn't have that like creaminess that um, buttermilk that has. buttermilk has. And so I feel like you would have to, and the sourness kind of that buttermilk, buttermilk brings to it. So of course you're going to add more garlic. It's the easiest thing that you can add without it being like overwhelming. Ill, that's too much. Because we don't believe in too much garlic no i don't think any american really believes in too much garlic no because it's an an accepted flavor palette for basic cooking Mm -hmm. (laughs) basic meals it's the basic bitch of seasoning yes but not pumpkin spice spice latte thingy whatever anyways it's just apple pie spice it's fine okay health benefits (laughs) we're gonna talk about the alleged health benefits of garlic and they still go strong today. I don't know if anyone remembers the garlic commercials from the early aughts. I do not. I do not. Uh, it was like a little pill of basically just concentrated garlic oil. 
and it was supposed to help with your cholesterol because garlic is toted mm-hmm. as lowering your cholesterol and these little health pills are supposed to give you a super dose of all the goodness of garlic with none of the bad breath. They still sell that. Like in the the vitamin aisle at Target. Yep. Also garlic. be a sponsor Target. Um, garlic. Garlic is, is one of the options, right? It's like cranberry it garlic. And then also- you don't have to taste garlic on your breath all day. I don't know who hates that, but apparently it's a thing. Whatever. Uh, one thing I have heard about the garlic pills, I don't know about this cholesterol business, but if you eat more garlic in your diet and or take these pills, they say that your body can end up warding off mosquitoes. And now I'm wondering if it's just our new way of thinking about vampires. It could be. Norway did a study several years ago seeing if garlic repelled leeches and it actually attracts them. Well, yeah, because leeches aren't dumb. No. They don't taste good. Garlic. <laughs> but that's been a like. And in mice. Norway? In Norway? I don't know about Norwegian food, but like garlic might be a welcomed spice to the Norwegian blood palate. <laughs> this is a place where lusk fish is common, so. The yeah. fuck is a luck fish? Lust fish, fish. fish. Yeah, I just said lust fish. Anyways, that's something very different. You would think I'm drinking on this podcast. I'm sober. So am I. No, it's a a type of hagfish that you bury for several months to ferment, and then you dig it up and you eat it. Does garum? Yeah. No thanks. Nah. Look up garum, guys. It's gross. Google it and show it to your kids. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and there's a really good YouTube channel that talks about food, and I want him on the podcast, so I'm not going to mention him now, but he talks about garum, and I'm sure you can figure who that is. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to burst the health food bubble and tell you there is no evidence of this cholesterol-lowering effect <laughs> by garlic supplementation. Huh. Or by raw garlic. Oh. None. It's not to say garlic isn't good for you. It's got vitamins C and B6 in spades, along with folic acid and fiber, which are things that I'm particularly finding important right now. Yes. Uh, They also have an antioxidant and prebiotic profile to drool over, and they might even help with hormonal balance and inflammatory issues. Nice. So it's very good for you. It's just not good for you in that specific way. Right. So in ways that women could actually benefit. Benefit. Yeah. And so like, we probably already know about that. And so then they're trying to market to a male audience. And high cholesterol is always something that is more from a a marketing standpoint is something that's always sort of discussed in terms of a male issue. Yeah. Uh, I mean like honey nut Cheerios, it's all dudes that are trying to get to eat fucking Cheerios because of cholesterol, because apparently moms don't have cholesterol issue. So it's interesting that that's it's like very female centric, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. There's also another fun aside that criminals have been smuggling Chinese garlic into Europe due to the heavy tariffs on non EU garlic. And these smuggling rings do business in the millions of pounds a year. That's one hell of a craving for garlicky goodness. I just, you know what? Of all the things to be trafficked, trafficked, I'm not mad at this one. No, this is an 
inanimate object. And it's not habit forming in a way that, like, I don't know, rots your teeth and has you stealing money from your relatives. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. And it's um, also not people, which is this always is true. nice. This is true. It is nice then when people are not trafficked, yes. <laughs> Olive oil also has, like, smuggling rings and, like, its own controversies and, th- and things. Um, I just thought it was funny that garlic has the same thing. That's wonderful. It's amazing. I love this. Uh, there are festivals for alliums all over the world. The one that I really want to attend, I mean, let's be honest here, I want to attend all of them. Yes. So the one that's pertinent to this podcast, this episode of this podcast, is the Garlic Festival on the Isle of Wight. Please? Yes. That's that's uh-huh. the first family vacation, the co-family vacation we're taking. Could you imagine us trying to tell our husbands this? Like, So here's the deal. Like, we're going to get... Plane tickets for seven humans, four adults, and three tiny humans. So this is not a cheap festival visit. No. And we're going to this place of white, Isle of White. Can you tell me where that is? Because my history, like history degree tells me nothing. Uh, it's in the UK. Yeah, I figured. That's why I don't know about it, because I stay in the Mediterranean. Um, so we're going <laughs> we're gonna to travel to the UK. We're going to travel to the UK, and not for my husband's family, no. Who, who does exist there to some degree, and not for cathedrals and not for uh, churches and all of these other wonderful things. We're going for the fucking garlic festival. I mean, let's be real. You're a historian and I'm just obsessed. So we'd also <laughs> stop over in London. We'd see the Borough Market again. Yes. And we'd see the original London Wall. Yeah. Because of course we would. And then I wouldn't mind seeing Parliament because... The idea of it being blown up on November 5th, 5th is not terrible. I'm, I'm not here to, to hate on the Parliament. I'm just saying it was kind of a cool part of the movie. Fun fact about Mr. and Mrs. Birdie here. We got engaged on November 5th and we had our... our Honeymoon in the UK. Mm-hmm. And we also had our marriage, like the actual signing paperwork, on December 7th. We have not yet been to Hawaii. Don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sure Hawaii is beautiful. Um, that's amazing. Yes. Uh, now, see, now this is a good nickname for Parasite Guy Fox. <laughs> I think I'll stick with Hatchling. Yeah, yeah. Hatchling is good too. Fine, fine. Because it's adorable. It is adorable. And you know, Birdie. Yeah. Hatchling. Birdie and Hatchling. And- I'm, I told you, it's not always highbrow smart stuff. Sometimes it's just simple and cute. I mean... Our wedding was also Jurassic Park themed. Yeah. So there you go, podcast listener. That's what you're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I had my wedding at a brewery. That's See, that was Aaron's first choice. Yeah, yeah. It was not Topher's first choice. We're just going to give them their names. Who cares? <laughs> it was not Topher's first choice. And I think it's because he wasn't quite in the wedding planning space. Um, but he had taken me to Stone Brewery. Also should be a sponsor, although we did shit on them for like a minute in the last episode about beer and we'll, their we'll treatment in Germany. The, we'll redeem them in the beer episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so we went there for a Meatless Monday back when I was doing Meatless stuff the first time. So we went there for lunch. He surprised he picked me up from college because that was back then. We, he surprised me with this lunch at this lovely restaurant. And I literally took one look around and was like... 
we're going to get married here. And he looked at me like I was fucking nuts, to which I asked the waiter for a manager who could give me event information and they gave me a packet and i did not look at a single other venue because i knew where we were getting married and that is in fact where we got married if the natural history museum in raleigh had been available you can get married under the dinosaur skeletons (laughs) and i was like if it had been available for the dates we had picked out i would have gone with it for sure um, I think we're going to do the kids' birthdays at, like, the Aerospace Museum next year because my kids are obsessed with planes and space and all the things. So I get it. Well, I- Aaron will be back for the little bits. So Nice. Nice. He will, he will appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So right. Festival of Garlic. Yes. Uh, yeah, that sounds amazing. We should definitely do that. 10 out of 10. Yeah. And that's garlic. Sammy, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I I learned a ton. <laughs> it's interesting that like there's, it's not as say universal as his as honey was right in the last episode, but you still have this um, multicultural space that is both through trade and also kind of regional. So like you were talking about how. Uh, garlic traveled along the Silk Road into China and then Korea and Japan. Um, but then you also see what happens there and this like use and understandings. And I always find it fascinating how people take something and turn it into a mythos or, or um, create something that seems to be more important than just food, right? Like we think of, I don't know, maybe we don't we do think of food as more than just food now, but it's just interesting that we don't necessarily like attribute it to virility or like, I think even medicine. Yeah. And like, I even think like the idea of like aphrodisiacs are kind of scoffed at now, right? Like no one actually thinks that like chocolate is going to make you horny. Yeah. I I, I don't oyster eating oysters sounds like it's going to make me sick. Uh, But even like chocolate, like people are like, Oh, chocolate, that's a sexy food. And I'm like, unless you're PMSing, (laughs) then it's not. Um, But it's just, you know, and so, but it's interesting how, Humans can take something that they find enjoyable, especially in a sensory space, and create something otherworldly or larger around it Mm -hmm. um, and attribute these sensory experiences to morality or to, you know, it's like, oh, well, this isn't good for these people to eat because of this. Or like maybe, you know, it's hot and dry. So keep it away from our men who are already spicy. Um, And just (laughs) like keep it away from our women if we don't want them to have opinions. Well, yeah. And like, well, because if this is, if the garlic is hot and dry and men are hot and dry, you don't want your women to ingest something that's going to make them manlike, which is opinionated. <laughs> the ancient world, I'm sure, still had mansplaining. Of course it did. The ancient world is founded on mansplaining. We just talked about, like, oh, the ones who grow up top are better than the things that grow on bottom. That's mansplaining. Uh-huh. There's no science to that. He just said, I like things in the tree. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like, he, he relied on his proto-monkey brain. Yeah. He said, if it's up, it's, it's good. good. That's a man logic if it's up it's good women are like no sometimes you just want to crawl on the ground and grab the shit out of the ground sometimes it's just easier yeah i don't want to climb a tree 
just lay down, grab me a, a garlic root, and let me make some soup. But Which is what we're making. Cure, you do have to cure garlic for like two to three weeks before you can use it when it's fresh. Really? Yeah. Did not know that either. The paper on the outside, when it's fresh, has uh, the texture of like flower petals. Oh. Is... So you have to let it dry a bit. Nice. Just this is fun. I just, I want, I want a giant garden. This is all the, like this podcast is one, making me hopefully appreciate more food, be more adventurous in some of my cooking, uh, but really just makes me want to grow my own stuff. Like the idea of growing garlic in a backyard where my kiddos can like harvest and then we can like sit and watch it dry for three weeks. I don't know. It just sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah. Like my kids already helped me plant like pothos. And I could have, which is not a fun plant to plant, by the way. It just like, you know, sits and is pretty, which I love. But two and four-year-olds are like, oh, All right, what next? yeah, what do we do now? Uh, but for something to produce something and them to be able to sort of, um, you know, reap what they sow. I don't know. But like, enjoy the fruits of their labor sounds really great. And in a way that we don't have to, like, we just talked about going to the grocery store and it's just like, we have leaks. Like, we don't understand the the beauty in the process and like, you know, and being able to really, um, I mean, I grew up in an agrarian community, so I had some understanding, but it wasn't until I actually worked on a goat farm in high school that I got like a much deeper appreciation for where our food comes from. Yeah. I, I have not gotten there yet. We'll get there. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to make you process poultry for market to get there, which is what it took for me. The only thing I would be, this is weird, and maybe, maybe not something, but I don't think that the slaughtering of the chicken would be what I was opposed to, especially if it's done in a humane way. Mm-hmm. It's the plucking. Oh, the plucking is actually remarkably easy. Oh, it just seems. I don't know. It seems like labor intensive and sad. <laughs> I'll describe it off air for you. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I don't I don't want to traumatize our listeners. Nice. Would estheticians have an idea of what it's like? Uh for the secondary. Okay. The primary, a washing machine is gonna have a little bit more of a an understanding. Oh my god, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> off air. Cool, cool, okay. cool. Yes. Okay, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have anything else to say about garlic. I kind of stayed away from this. I don't know, maybe we'll do some more overlap as we keep going. But I feel like it's like, nope, this one's birdies. I'm gonna like not learn oh, anything about garlic. I've been doing the same thing with yours. But yeah, I'm excited for the recipes. So we're doing, we're doing a recipe from the Babylonian tablets. I love that. Uh, it's called pasrutum or unwinding is how it translates. So it's comfort food. Yes. Sweet. I love it. Like you're unwinding after the end of the day. Nice. Um, And I used the Lapham's Quarterly uh, translation, which is basically the Yale translation, but that's where I pulled it from because it was a little bit easier to read. Got it. Because you don't have to read the whole fucking article to get it. Yeah. Scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) I did have to sign up for their monthly newsletter to be able to view it, but that's fine. No cost. No cost. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and, you know, it's cool because I can see it on our Gmail. It's great. Nice. Uh, and then our modern recipe is garlic soup from the Endless Meal blog. Okay. I've actually used this for a date with Mr. Birdie. Nice. And it is perfection. Wonderful. I'm super excited. So we'll cook those up and we will 
get back to you guys. Yeah, we'll see which one we like or just how it compares. I don't really want to, like, make it oh, which one's better. I mean, that's fun. And, of course, we'll get to that place. But sometimes I just want to compare, like, how where, different they are. What, how different they are, if there's continuity there. And just, I don't know, you know, like, the idea of being able to, I don't want to quote somebody else's channel right now, the idea of being able to engage in the flavors of the past. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a student trying to avoid plagiarizing. Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing, because... Yeah. Yes. Yes. So engage in the flavors of the past um, in a in a meaningful way, and just I don't know. Like again, we can read all we want about the ancient world, but sometimes being able to eat what they ate, I feel like, uh, allows us to sort of time travel and and reach into those spaces in ways that books and even um, you know. Uh, you know, artifacts and things like that can't quite do. So super interested. We'll come back to you in, I don't know, one to 12 hours. Just kidding. I mean, but like one to 12 hours for us for, uh, for the, for the tasting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All righty. One moment, please. And... Here. Birdie. Okay, so the greenish looking stew with croutons in front of you is called Pasratum, and it means unwinding. This is a stew, it's a vegetarian stew that was found on the Yale Babylonian cuneiform tablets. It's right, one the ones of 40, we were talking about earlier. Yep. Mm-hmm. One of 40 recipes that they've translated, about five are open to the public. This All of them, them have garlic and leek. Beautiful. Yes. So let's give so that a is, try first. what is in this one? Uh, other than garlic and leek? Uh, cilantro and water and oil. And, and, and cr- croutons. And croutons. Cool, cool. Yep, this is comfort food. That's obnoxiously good. Mm-hmm. That's far better than I expected. It is far better than I expected as well. It's just comfort food. It's Babylonian comfort food. It's salty and a little bit oniony and tons of garlic. Mm-hmm. Let me get a bite without croutons to sample. Because I don't know, I don't want those croutons to, the modern day croutons, that to have too much of an impact on this. That's fair. I was really worried about the cilantro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not cilantro-y. Mm-mm. Yeah, it just adds to the, the flavor. It somehow enhances the garlic flavors. I mean, it does kind of taste like we're drinking a bowl of garlic water. What yeah. else is soup? But I don't hate it. Yeah. You say, like, that's that's the, like, the prominent flavor, of course. It's garlic. Mm-hmm. It's garlic episode. Um, I like it. I like it, too. It's quite good. I don't know if I could eat a whole bowl of this. Not by itself? No. I could see it being, like, for for today, being more of, like, a first small course, uh, soup course, or being served with more robust bread, and not just a spackling of croutons. And probably, like, shredded chicken, because we can't have anything that doesn't have 
meat in it this nowadays. Is this is true. It would be good with chicken. Yeah. This would be excellent with, like, chicken and, like, a little bit of pepper or, like, some red pepper flakes. I'm, I'm kind of digging the idea of, like, a modified chicken noodle soup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just throw some noodles in there. Ooh, throw a matzo ball in here. Yeah. <laughs> Our listeners are going to be so, like, annoyed with how Jewish I am. They're like, not everything needs a fucking matzo ball. Yes, it does. Everything needs a matzo ball. Sorry. Hi, world. I'm Topher. I'm the big sexy one in the room. Also known as Big Sexy. So, you know, there you go. I'd be called worse in my face. It's okay. I love that it's his wife that finds this hilarious. That'd be me. Yeah, because she's like, he's never called that by anyone. <laughs> Who calls him Big Sexy? Not in, public, not in front of me. All my coworkers. All my coworkers. Okay. So now we're try- I'm trying the modern one. Modern one. This is date night soup. It is date night soup. So what is this modern recipe? So it is a garlic soup from the modern, or not, excuse me, the endless meal. It has primarily potatoes, garlic, and onions. And it also has uh, chicken stock and white wine as the liquid components, an Italian seasoning to kind of brighten everything up. And we topped it with fried potato skins, because why not? I like it. It's really good. It is really good. I almost wish we had done the Parmesan chips, but mm-hmm. I'm glad we didn't, because that's just like an extra thing. Mm-hmm. But this, like, lets the garlic really shine. What makes this garlic component special? It's roasted. Um, you roast up heads the heads of it? garlic. Yeah. Three whole heads of garlic. They're roasted and then immersion blended into the soup. And it wasn't a very, like, large amount of soup that we made. So having three cloves of garlic in a total of a quart? Maybe. Of soup? Quart, like a quart plus a cup. Oh, yeah, maybe. sorry, three heads. Three heads of garlic for about a quart of soup, if a little bit less. Whereas the the ancient one was a... It's a bigger amount of it, it had was, two whole heads of garlic and two stalks of leek yeah but it was in a probably a half gallon of water mm-hmm. so not bad not bad at all didn't take long to cook either i thought it was going to be like a much longer soup process no but both no. of these i literally chose both oh. of these as a combination of all right ancient recipe but also easy and modern recipe, I've made it before. I kind of know how this goes. So now we're at my house, and my cat is being a tyrant. She's playing with the cords. Your cat's a kitten. This is true. But she's also scratching at my feet. Well, they're contractually, contractually obligated to be tyrants. <laughs> I think toddlers are, too. I kind of got that vibe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as someone who is coming in from the outside, not knowing anything, the garlic definitely stands out as the star in the ancient dish. Yeah. This is a very good potato and garlic soup, the modern, mm-hmm. but the ancient is a garlic soup. Yeah. You really use that ingredient to shine as the star. I think it's because there's less going on. 
in the ancient. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something I've noticed with the ancient world, is everything just kind of comes down to brass tacks. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like there's not as many... I mean, there's a ton of food that's available, but also in comparison to, like, modern cuisine, there's a limit to what you can like the components in which you can use. Yeah. So like we couldn't use potatoes and I don't even know if we can really use onion in the ancient recipe because like, both of those are new worlds. Well, onion I mean, is not so much, but yeah, I was going to say onion has some new world like genii. Mhm. Genuses, I don't know. <laughs> Latin. Sorry. That was a terrible noise. Thank you. Sorry. It's all right. We make the same noise when we're eating cake. I've just edited it out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like the I like the texture and the mouthfeel of the ancient. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think that I can eat a whole bowl where I'm like still nibbling on the the modern one. The modern soup literally disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like, there's other things that I have. I didn't have dinner. That potato soup is bomb. But it stands out to me as a potato soup. With garlic components. With garlic soup. But I could I agree that if you had a really deep, hearty, rye, sourdough-type bread, a really crusty, loafy bread with mm-hmm. that garlic soup, that would be a meal. Mm-hmm. And I think if we didn't have the potato, like the fried potato skins on top, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't be as potatoey in the mouth. Yes. 100%. Alright. Final thoughts? What do we think? Both the ancient and the modern have their place in a day-to-day palette. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that what the ancient recipe in its whole is, is a really good base for more modern um, Personally, I'd add some acid to brighten it up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like a matzo ball or noodles or rice would rice be very good. Orzo would be good in this. Yeah. Especially if you did like less juice mm. or like when you put the orzo in so that it ended up being more like a, I don't know, like Probably. a, well, like a rice or casserole, like single pot sort of dish. Yeah. As opposed to a soup. Um, but I mean, it's not, it's not bad. It's very good. Adding a dairy component, I think would be good. Like Mm -hmm. if we did that sort of casserole-ish one pot thing, tossing in like some cream cheese. Yeah. Or even topping with like parm. Yeah. Especially if it became more of a, um, like a much drier, um, dish, I guess, because the orzo would have been like, you know, sucking up the, the liquid. I just realized this dish is probably, like, actually balanced according to the humors. (laughs) Well, then that means that we shouldn't be sad. And our blood is going to be wonderful and still kind of congested, but we'll see. We'll get there. And then what was the last one? Choleric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our tummies are fine. Oh, yeah, our tummies are very happy. This uh, feels like greens. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of lives in that space, like collard greens, because the... 
It has it, like the broth, which would easily be a pot liquor with collard greens. Yeah, and then like the the leek, right? Like once it's cooked down, kind of feels like a collard green a little bit because they're a hearty sort of, you know, they, they definitely need to be cooked down. I don't, I can't imagine just like chopping on a leek. The same with collard greens, like they're rough. I feel like it would hurt my soul. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm happy with both. I am also happy with both, and I think that they both have their place. Mm-hmm. I can't really choose a favorite because they're so different. I think for the episode of it being a garlic episode, the ancient once again wins out as, like, garlic being the star. Yeah, but my, like, Irish disposition really likes the potato. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm <laughs> yeah. shocked, I tell you. I know, as I was, like, eating raw potatoes while we were cooking. I know. I'm gross. You sad Irish whore. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think the same thing. I think in for the purposes of a dish where the highlight is supposed to be garlic, this is 100% garlic is the main star. Agreed. And in the, mo- in the more modern, it's definitely... Um, Potato, I feel like, is a stronger... Because even the mouthfeel has that, like... That velvety potato-ness. Yeah, kind of a grain-ish to it, where, like, this literally is is just, you know, kind of the, like, a spinach, collard green sort of mouthfeel. It's chewy, which is not chewy, but, like... Liquid salad? Kind of, like, with the... Liquid we, salad's a good way to put it. Well, we immersion blend the modern, so it's very much like uh It's, you know, it's puree. It's, it's very... It's one note. Yeah, as it's far very as thin. Texture. There's not texture, um, but this one has this one has nice texture. Yeah, but I, I'm not mad at either one of them. That's for sure. They're delicious. So. No, they're very good. Both of them are very good. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Mazel tov on yummy food, bird. Thanks. Anytime. Alrighty. So that's garlic. Thank you for listening and learning alongside us, and please consider subscribing to our Patreon, patreon.com slash historybetweenbites, active now. Then we have our YouTube, Hearth or Table, which is coming soon, and various social medias, which you can find in the show notes. Until next time, stay hungry for history. Thousand years old. Didn't they have spoons back then? Yes, they did. Of hey, Google, they did. when did the spoon get invented? The spoon is one of the earliest known artifacts we actually have. Hey, Google, when did the spoon get invented? On the website deepplate.bowsherhead.com, they say historians can determine the exact time the spoon was invented, but archaeologists can point to evidence around 1000 BC of spoons from ancient Egypt. 1,000 BC is 3,000 years ago. 4,000 year old recipe. No spoons! Fuck you, fuck you, I'm right. Alice for leaks that may call the feeling up here inside the soup.